Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse number 27. Luke 6, 27. I want to talk about the hardest commandment. The, the hardest commandment. Most of us have a, find it hard enough just to love our friends, don't we? Uh, our desire... Our desire for self-protection and self-advancement is so strong that we fail to love people that we say we love. Um, we're, we're willing to help our family and friends up to a point, but we have our limits. Uh, we we want to give them loving service, but at the same time, we're desperate to safeguard our, our time, our money, our emotional energy. We don't have the, the constant, uh, compassionate, sacrificial love of Christ. But even if we didn't love, even if we don't love our friends very well, how could we ever love our enemies? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you'll stand with me one last time, and we'll begin reading Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 36. Uh, this thing's not working again. So it's obviously not a battery problem. We got something else going on here. Um, verse number 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them, do so to them. If you love those who love you, and, and what benefit is that to you? For sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be just a little bit. Uh, it's going to be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know, that's usually where we stop, right? Our kindness stops at the ungrateful, right? Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this passage, how it speaks to our heart. I ask that uh, you will help us today. Lord, uh, this, is, this is impossible in our flesh, but it's completely possible in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So I ask that you will not only encourage us all, but make us all those who love our enemies. In Christ's name, amen. Whether it seems uh, uh, beyond our attainment or not, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. This, this is, this is the, the hard commandment he gave his disciples. As a matter of fact, uh, it may be the hardest one of all, 
But I say unto you who hear, love your enemies. And um, um, the context for this commandment is, is significant. Jesus had called 12 men to be his apostles. These were divinely appointed ambassadors who would preach the gospel to the world. But no sooner than he called them, then he began to teach what it would mean to follow him. Jesus pronounced four blessings on his apostles and on everyone who would uh, suffer for his sake. Remember what we talked about last couple times. Uh, they would endure poverty of spirit, hunger, uh, sorrow, persecution. But in their suffering, they would know his blessing. And then Jesus pronounced four woes against self-satisfied people who were living for pleasures of the moment and thought they could do without God. According to uh, Jesus, therefore, there are two kinds of people and only two kinds of people in the world. People who suffer for his sake and have his blessing and those who live for themselves and have an unhappy end. But how should the first group relate to the second? How does one group relate to the other group? In other words, how should true disciples of Jesus Christ relate to those who persecute them? And the natural response, and this is the response of all of us, the natural response would be to hate them, to hurt them, or at the very least, avoid them, right? Uh, I think it was... I think it was Dr. Oz on his program. I, I've never watched him uh, one second in my life, but I would get reports about what he said. And I remember one time a church member came into my church and uh, what Dr. Oz said was revolutionary. They, they were trying to uh, be healed of, of a disease. And they said, I'm, we're just going to follow what uh, Dr. Oz says for healing. And that is stay away from all negative people. I said, well, that's going to be pretty hard, isn't it? <laughs> um, but that's, that's not what God calls us to do. He doesn't call us to avoid prickly people. He doesn't call us to avoid our enemies. As a matter of fact, he calls us to love our enemies. And so at the time of Christ, many rabbis taught that this verse applied only to the relationships within the community of faith. So in other words, transference to today, it would be similar to saying we only have to love people in the church. Okay. There were limits to brotherly love. The rabbis would say the only people who counted as neighbors were fellow Jews. God's people had to love their friends, but they didn't have to love their enemies. As a matter of fact, they, they could hate their enemies and be fine with it. Now, we all have our enemies, don't we? We all have our enemies. Some of them are public. They could be a, gre a greedy company that takes advantage of its employees. The unscrupulous politician, I know there's none of those around, who introduces ungodly legislation the reckless driver who uh, injures an innocent bystander, the dictator who persecutes the church, the terrorist who um, um, brings war and destruction. But there's a lot of others that are more personal, aren't there? For example, there might be the demeaning boss, the scheming coworker. None of you work with scheming coworkers, right? 
the angry neighbor, the hostile spouse, or the former friend who's grown distant because of disagreement. The question is, who is your enemy? This is an important question to answer because whoever your enemy is, he or she is the person that God is calling you to love. And my guess is, there's a face in your mind right now. God is actively calling you to, I'm sorry, God is calling you to actively love that person. Now, rather than speak in general terms, uh, uh, Jesus gave his disciples specific instructions for loving their enemies. Because Jesus knew that love was not simply a matter of what we think or feel, but also a, a practical things that we do. So he, he countered the ways that we could love our enemies. Look at verses 27 and 28. He said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Now there's a progression here. There's a progression. Could you advance a slide? A progression is, number one, we love with our actions. We do good to those who hate, right? Go to the next one. We also um, love with our speech. We bless those who, who curse us. Um, we use gentle words of grace when people speak to us in anger. And then the third one is to um, love with our hearts. We, we pray for those who abuse. Asking God to rescue from sin the people who hurt us. And this is, this is what we do. It's not a superficial thing. It's not, I said the right thing, I'm good to go. It's not like our children, where we tell our children, you know, apologize to your sister. I'm sorry. It's not one of those deals. We are to, we are to love people with our hearts, our actions, and our speech. And so together, our words and actions and prayers, they form a powerful response to the hatred of our enemies. Rather than giving in to their evil by making an angry response, we triumph over evil with good. Now the question is, how do we test that? How do we know that we're doing that? And one way to test whether we keep in the heart commandments to love our enemies is work through the list that Jesus gave his disciples. In other words, what good have I done for an enemy? What words of blessing have I spoken? What, what prayers of intercession have I offered to somebody who, who hates me? Ordinarily, this is how transformation starts, isn't it? Through prayer, um, through uh, bringing somebody to um, the throne of grace, and we can't continue to, to hate someone or have hard feelings towards someone when we're constantly bringing them before God's throne of grace. As we pray, you know what we re begin to realize? We begin to realize that our enemies need the same thing that we need. And you know what that is? Forgiveness of sin and the power to live and lead a holy life. This gives us more, than, more sympathy for their situation and enables us to love. And so it seems significant that we are called to pray for who? Our abusers. Our abusers. 
rather than to do good to them. This word is some about uh, people who are, uh, it's, it's a physical thing for the most part. It's mistreatment. I guess a general term would be mistreatment. Abuse would be mistreatment. Now, some forms of abuse, especially physical violence, are too dangerous to endure. In such cases, we have the God-given responsibility to protect and preserve life, including our own. We need to be wise in our response to evil. There are times when loving our enemies, including in severe cases within our own families, means praying for them from a safe distance. But we must continue to pray because there is no form of hostility that excuses us from Christ's command to love our enemies, right? Now, how else are we to love our enemies? Well, Jesus continued to count the ways. Look at verse number 29. He says, to the one that strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Every time I read that verse, I think of the cartoon, forgive me, but I think it was a, a Mad Magazine cartoon one time, and it showed two like colonial era men, and they were in an argument, and one guy took off his glove and slapped the other guy with his glove, and then that guy took off his glove and punched the other guy out. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that was free. Um <laughs> Some people have understood, now listen, this is important. Some people have understood this verse to mean that when we suffer physical abuse, such as a wife may suffer from her husband or a child may suffer from a bully at school, that, um, that we have to keep taking it. And that's not what this verse is saying at all. If turning the other cheek does not mean accepting physical abuse, then what does it mean? If turning the other cheek doesn't mean accepting a physical abuse. What does it mean? Well, as always, it helps to know the context. In the context, Jesus told his disciples that they would be persecuted for their faith. Remember that? And this is still the context for these verses that we're reading today, the persecution for their faith. The apostles and Christians would face suffering as followers of Christ, and they would have to endure it without fighting back. But there's a cultural context to consider. Could you advance to the next slide? In those days, striking someone on the cheek was more of an insult than an act of violence. It was striking someone with the back of your hand, and it was an insult. It wasn't done to knock a person out knock a person down or anything like that. It was, it was an insulting slap on the cheek. They did it to Jesus Christ. They slapped him on the cheek, and it was an insult to Jesus. Remember when they were striking him on the cheek, they were uh, mocking him by worshiping him as king of the universe. You say you're king of the universe, slap type thing, right? And so one is not to fight back in kind, but to remain vulnerable to insult. The point is this, the point is that we should be willing to face humiliation again and again for Jesus Christ. That's hard, isn't it? 
you think about what is the most common way that we face humiliation for Christ, most of the time it is that people look at us like we're stupid. I haven't met a person yet who likes to be thought of as stupid. And that's hard. And so what do we do? We, we shrink back and we don't take a stand sometimes. But we have to be willing to be insulted and, and, and humiliated over and over Christ. Rather than retaliating or taking some form of revenge, we should endure insults of peace and patience just as Jesus did. Remember what the Bible says. It says when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges alone. That's, that's 1 Peter chapter number 2. Sometimes the attack we face, the attacks we face can be from people at work. Uh, sometimes neighbors make snide remarks about our involvement in church. Sometimes family members try to discourage us from walking in the path of radical obedience. But no matter what form of opposition we face, we, Christ calls us to keep preaching out or reaching out to our enemies. And even if it means that we might get hurt again. Now, up until this point, Christ has been talking about the attacks against the dignity of our person in loving our enemy, but now he begins to talk about actual loss of property. Look at the next verses, 29 and 30. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs uh, from you, and, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Go to the next slide, please. Here, Jesus calls us to have a giving spirit that is more concerned about the needs of other people than about the protection of our own property. Do you know what the cloak was? The, the cloak was the outer garment, like an overcoat. Uh, a, 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 and then he talks about the tunic. The tunic is the inner garment. It's like, it's like a, a long undershirt. Jesus was saying that somebody is desperate enough to take your coat, let him have the shirt off your back too. Obviously, this is just one example, but the principle is this. Even if, even if people mistreat us, we should give them above and beyond what they need to the point of making a real sacrifice. Admit, now, let's admit together, that, that is, that's just admit much, Jesus, right? Jesus, you got to be talking in hyperbole now. This is the attitude we should take in helping our family members, reaching out to people in our community, supporting the, the, the worldwide network and uh, work of the church. It's also the attitude we take towards the poor. Jesus told his disciples to give to anyone that asks. The word is beginning in verse number 30 is not beg, but ask. Jesus is not talking listen please to what I'm going to say because it's easy to get um, to hear something I didn't say. Jesus is not talking about giving money to panhandlers who will misuse it or use it for an evil purpose. He's talking about giving to people with legitimate material needs. 
We should give to them whatever they need without demanding anything in return. And I'll be the first to admit, this is a tricky situation, isn't it? How do you do that? There's, I've had plenty of experience being pastor of a church with this sort of thing. Uh, I, I remember one time in, in Memphis on a Saturday, I was in the office, I was the only one there, and uh, somebody drove up and came in the office and, and told this sob story about needing medicine for one of their children. It was going to be, I don't know, $50, I think it was. And, and uh, talking to the guy, and he had his family on the car. And I said, I said well, uh, where's the prescription for this? He said, Walgreens. I said, this one down the road? He said, yes. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll meet you down there, and I'll, and I'll buy it for you. And he said, oh, okay, great. And, he, and I saw meet you down there. He got in his car and took off. I got my car, went down there, and he never showed up, right? Um, I remember another guy. Uh, this is up in northern Wisconsin. Now, we, have, we lived in a town of 377. Our church was on, believe it or not, there was a main street in a town that small. Uh, our church was on main street. And this guy stopped by, and he, he said, I just, I just got a job at Walmart down in Appleton. Appleton was 70 miles from where we lived. And he said, I need gas to get down there so, so I can get my training done. And I said, okay. So I took him to the gas station and he put gas in his car for him. And um, uh, like a, a week later, he calls, he calls the church. And um, he said, hey, it's me again. He said, I need more gas money to get down there. And I thought to myself, I said, are you telling me the truth? He said, oh, yeah, I'm telling you the truth, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, okay. Maybe he beat me once. Uh, this case, I'll be willing to beat again. So I took him back down to the same gas station, put gas in his car. But this time, I drove around the building like I was leaving. And then I parked and watched him leave. Appleton was 70 miles south, and he got on the road and went north. So he called again about, about a month later. And I said, uh, you know, um, I don't think I can give you any more gas money, Right. And so we, we have to think these things through. Now, these, these weren't my enemy or anything, but when you're, when you're talking about giving to people that um, ask, we have to be willing at least to possibly be swindled out of some money. I mean, the money's God's, but we do have to use our common sense as well, don't we? Uh, I could tell you a bunch of stories like that. Uh, churches and um, people who are asking for money go together. And you get, you get a lot of that. But um, we should be willing to give to people with genuine, legitimate material needs without demanding anything in return. At the end of verse number 30, the context is not so much stealing as it is borrowing. Go to the next slide, please. Some people borrow things without ever giving them back. But rather than making them pay, we should be ready to forgive their debts. As disciples of Jesus Christ, the question is always for us, for us, what can I give and never what will I get in return for this giving? You ever met those people that every time they give, there's always uh, the expectation of reciprocity? You're going to give me something in return? What is Jesus calling you to give? What is someone taking that he's calling you uh, to let go of? Some Christians are so concerned that somebody's going to take advantage of them that they never give anything to anyone. Jesus calls us to err on the side of generosity. 
course, there's limits to what we can give. And there are times when it's not loving to give either. But, we, but because giving will foster an unhealthy dependency sometimes with people, right? But love is what must decide. Not love for ourselves or our possessions, but love for others and what they truly need. And even when it comes to our enemies, we should not look to hold on to what we have, but to give it away as a demonstration of Christian love. Now, everything that Jesus has said about loving our enemies is summarized in a famous statement that we call the golden rule, right? Look at verse number 31. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, it's, it's relevant today as much as it was relevant back then. It's relevant for every situation in life. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what we're used to hearing. And this is a good rule to follow on the playground when the kids are having trouble getting along. Uh, It's a good rule to follow at home when it comes to things like picking up clothes, putting away the toothpaste, putting the toilet seat down, and all that sort of stuff that we're supposed to do, right? It's a good rule to follow when merging into heavy traffic or sharing an office or resolving a dispute with a neighbor. Obviously, Jesus couldn't give specific instructions for each and every situation that we would ever face. And so there's one rule to live by, the golden rule for all of life. But the golden rule is more than relevant. It's also radical. Because the golden rule is not simply not doing certain things that he's after, but doing everything we can to bless others. Not just our friends either. Go to the next slide. The golden rule is for our enemies as well. We are called to treat people the way we want them to treat us, even if we're fairly sure that they're going to treat us the way that we don't want to be treated. It's kind of quiet in here. I'm I'm not going to lie. Not a whole lot of responding going on. These are hard truths, aren't they? Now, this is very different than the rule most people follow. It's not what we typically see when businessmen are trying to close a deal or when a husband and wife are having an argument or when siblings are jockeying for the position in the backseat or the front seat, I got shotgun. The rule is usually more like, do whatever you can get away with. Or do unto others as you would have to get out of them, or something like that. I don't know what the rule would be. If you think of a good way to put it, let me know. But Jesus said, do unto others what you would have them do to you, even if they are your enemies. Can you go to the next slide? Jesus said this for a reason. Because it's only this kind of love that reveals the power of his grace. Now, most people are able to love people who love them, at least to some extent. But who is able to love the people that hate them? Only someone whose life is, has been touched by the grace of God, who loved his enemies so much that he sent his son to die for their sins, The very idea of loving our enemies takes us right to the heart of the gospel, doesn't it? 
literally loving our enemy goes right to its source, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To show the difference between his love and our love, Jesus gave a series of three comparisons. Look at them in verses 32 to 34. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend uh, to sinners to get back the same amount. That's no big deal. A lot of people do that. In each case, help is offered on the assumption of reciprocity, right? You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Almost anybody can offer that kind of a love because it's the love of self-interest. They may be even willing to let people borrow their stuff as long as they make sure they get it back. But the love that Christ calls us to show is more radical. It's not only for friends, it's for enemies. It's not limited to people who love you, who will repay you, but it extends to people who hate you and curse you and abuse you. Go to the next slide, please. This is because it is not based upon self-interest. But rather, it comes from the love that we ourselves have received from God and now have the grace to give to others. It is a selfless, unselfish love. And the best way to prove this is by offering it to people who don't even deserve it. And one of the main ways that people will come to know the infinite love of God is to see us showing it to people that nobody else would love. Next slide. Jesus taught his disciples to love this way because this is the way that God loves, isn't it? When we love our enemies, we show that we are God's true children. The family resemblance is unmistakable. Do you resemble your father, your heavenly father? Look at verses 35 and 36. Jesus said, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. God is love. It is his very character to show kindness and mercy more specifically to show these virtues to his enemies. God shows kindness to evil, ungrateful people every day. Every single day he does. He does it by giving us life and strength. He does it by sustaining the glorious universe in which we live. He, he does it by sending rain from heaven. He showers the godly and the ungodly alike. But God has shown his love most supremely in sending his son to die for the very people who hated him and rebelled against him. Salvation, salvation comes from the enemy-loving heart of God. Next slide, please. Because God reconciles sinners to himself. The Bible says, while we meaning everybody here, 
while we were still, while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. While we were enemies. This amazing love is not just the love of the Father, but also the Son. And when it comes to the love of God, it is like Father, like Son. Jesus proved this in his sufferings and death. He endured the very things that he told his disciples they would have to endure, yet still love their enemies. And Luke will show us later on in this gospel that Jesus was hated. He was hated by Judas, by the Pharisees, and by people who demanded his crucifixion. Jesus was cursed. He was cursed by false witnesses who testified against him, the soldiers who mocked him, the governor who sentenced him to die, a God-forsaken death. Jesus was abused. He was abused by priests who whipped him, the soldiers who hung him to die, and all the people who swore at him while he was dying on the cross. His enemies struck him on the cheek, struck him again, insulting his true identity as the Son of God. They took away both his cloak and his tunic, leaving him to die naked. They stripped him of everything that he had down to his dignity. And what did Jesus demand from his enemies in return? Nothing, except the opportunity to give his life for their sins. As he was dying on the cross, suffering at the hands of his enemies, Jesus was showing him them love, the very kind of love that he calls us disciples to show unselfish, disinterested, uninfluenced by any hope of return. Jesus was doing good to those who hated him, suffering the punishment they deserve for their sins, blessing those who cursed, offering salvation to the thief on the cross. And he was praying for those who abused them, right? Father, forgive them. They do not want they do. He showed by his very example, pray for those who abuse. Go to the next slide. And this is where we learn to love our enemies at the cross. Where we were enemies that Jesus died to forgive. Surely this is one of the reasons why Jesus gave us such a hard commandment. This, this commandment uh, is one that we can never keep out of the strength of our own love, is it? In order to keep it, you know what we have to do? We have to stay close to the cross, holding on to the love that we know that Jesus showed us there. God has called us to love our enemies so that we can see the sin of our own loveless hearts and learn the true power of the love that comes from him. 
I'm going to admit, as I wrote this this week, my own loveless heart was put on display. And if we try to follow this command, it strips us of all our pride, doesn't it? And exposes our loveless hearts. Jesus not only wants to expose our loveless heart, he wants us to learn the true power of love that comes only from him. Jesus lived the love that he commanded, and now he gives that love that he lived through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can live that love. It is only by the cross that we are able to be like Christ to our enemies, loving them without demanding anything in return. Now the Savior who died for us there now calls us to live his love and to give it to others, including people that hate us. So as we close, I want to ask, who's your enemy? Who is the enemy that God is calling you to love? Who is the person that Jesus is calling you to do good to? Who is Jesus calling you to bless and to pray for and to show the love of Christ? Lord, this is a hard commandment. Probably one of the hardest for all of us. It is so easy for us to see the lovelessness that we have in our hearts. But what I call and ask for you to do, Lord, is to fill us with a heart of love. Not that sentimental, mushy emotion, but rather a genuine choice to do good, to bless, to forgive, to pray for people who can't stand us, don't want to have anything to do with us, who abuse us. But we'll do this, Lord, with a heart full of joy, knowing that Jesus died for us, his enemy, so that we could be reconciled to him and spend eternity glorifying him. In his name we pray. Amen.